0: As we begin now uh, to look at our primary text for today, we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week in the first epistle of John. The first epistle of John, we're looking in chapter 2. First epistle of John, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. is our next text. Let's read it together before we begin. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. What we're looking at here is a picture or a snapshot of a family. It's a spiritual family. Don't get sidetracked into thinking that these are physically little children, uh, youthful young men, and then elderly fathers. That's not what the apostle is trying to communicate to us. Similar to our passage last week, which was verses 7 through 11, uh, those commanded us to love our brother. That was talking about the spiritual family. It was not a reference to a blood relation brother. Uh, Here, uh, we discover that this text is talking again about relationships in the local church. John's not describing members of a physical family. He's describing roles of a spiritual family. And In any spiritual family or local church, you're going to find spiritual children who are newly converted, right? They're the little children. You also have spiritually strong and active members of a church. That's represented by the phrase, young men. And of course, you have those who've progressed from spiritual childhood through adulthood. They are now in full Christian maturity. These would be considered fathers in this text the apostle Paul had achieved this uh, status of spiritual father in his final letter called 2nd Timothy he wrote this he said I have fought the good fight I have finished the course I have kept the faith growing from, spirit, uh, from childhood to full maturity it, it's the expected it's the anticipated progression of a Christian you become spiritually born again, right? And then you, you get up on your feet, you're engaged, you're furthering God's kingdom. Then eventually you become a fully mature Christian. You finish the course. This is true regardless of what age you come to faith. You could be an 80-year-old, brand-new Christian, just born again. You're a little child, little children. But it's your responsibility to grow spiritually so you'll become more useful to Jesus Christ. Growth impacts everything we do. Worship, evangelism, service, teaching, whatever it is, our responsibility is to grow and develop in the usefulness of Jesus Christ. You know, building Christ's kingdom, that is the entire reason that Christians exist. Often in scripture we'll find that, that the phrase kingdom building is compared to erecting a physical building. First Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, tells us this for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building, it says. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, Paul says, I laid a foundation. And another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Why? That passage continues. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day of judgment will show it because it will be revealed with fire. We see that fire theme again. And the fire itself will testify to the quality of each man's work, Paul says. He finishes with this in this passage. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. You and I are saved from the penalty of our sins. We escape eternal condemnation by trusting in Jesus Christ. You can't earn salvation because it's a gift. However, your initial salvation is not the end of your Christian walk. That's not the end of your experience. God's plan for you, for me, is that you build his church. Christ saved you. He took you and he placed you in his body. That is the church. So he can help or use you to help him in a great big construction project that he has going on. He's building a kingdom. And all of of your individual kingdom construction activity is going to be evaluated by Christ. You'll be rewarded in heaven by him according to how you build, Scripture says. That's a fact. All Christians don't simply get a gate pass into God's, God's great theme park in the sky. We will all be rewarded according to our kingdom building activity. You'll be judged according to your service to Christ during his lifetime. Now if you have more interest in that, uh, eternal rewards is what that's called, you might want to listen to a sermon that is on our website from February 1st of this year. That's titled, A Story of Three Builders. A Story of Three Builders, where we talk about that subject. They'll shed a little light. But Christ's rewards are not our topic for today. That's not our passage. Examining our position in the family portrait is. In God's family. And in fact, uh, many of us who are here today remain spiritually little children. Here's my point. Little children can't erect a building. You'd never take or assign a dozen little eight-year-olds to build a house for you, would you? No one would do that. They'd be ineffective. Children can't drive nails straight. They can't wire circuit breaker panels. They can't lift big roof trusses up on the roof. When you build houses, actually, children are pretty much worthless. They watch. They learn. They see what you are doing. And eventually, when they grow, they learn how to smash their finger. I mean, drive a nail straight with a hammer, right? You get the point. Everybody grows. Likewise, Christ never intended a very immature group of believers, spiritual babies, to be effective in church building, Christian kingdom building. Instead, Scripture says that we need to spiritually develop and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to be effective. So the Apostle John provides us a picture here of three levels of spiritual maturity, so that you and I can look at this and ask ourselves, where do I fit? Where am I presently in God's family? Am I useful to Christ? Am I active? Or am I just standing around with my hands in my pockets watching everybody else as they build? Male or female, regardless, uh, in regards to your faith, if you're an immature child, Christ will not use you effectively for his building. You need to be a diligent adult or a wise father. And John describes for us here uh, each of these three stages of development. And for time's sake, I'm just going to combine uh, this description so we can discuss each stage in its entirety. Let's first look at what he calls little children here. Look with me at verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you little children... Because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. And then add to that the end of verse 13. I have written to you children because you know the Father. These are the characteristics of a spiritual child. They've had their sins forgiven for the sake of Christ's name. And they know the Father. Salvifically, they know the Father. That means they're saved. That's all. Like any child, everything has been done for them. By themselves, they've done nothing. They've been uh, born again by God the Holy Spirit. They've had their sins forgiven by God the Father. And it's all for the purpose of glorifying the name of God the Son, right? It's for Christ's name that we've been saved through God's grace. That's what the little children look like. And you can note that John addresses these spiritual toddlers with a phrase of uh, endearment. Little children. Now this isn't a reprimand. He rejoices with them because they know God. that they're, He knows their sins are forgiven. They've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and deposited into the body of Christ, Christ's spiritual family. But beyond that, they're very limited in their usefulness in kingdom building. They haven't developed. They don't know a whole lot about Scripture yet. They can't communicate deep biblical truths and like a child on a construction site, they got to be monitored, right? they got to be watched. You might send, send them to get a box of nails for you. And they'll come back with it. But not a whole lot more than that, right? If Bryson here, Gerald's son, is on a construction site and he picks up a nail gun, Gerald's going to go, Bryson, point that in the other direction, <laughs> right? <laughs> Set it down very slowly, You watch them during building, construction building, so they don't injure themselves with false doctrine, right? The newborn babes aren't exactly sure how the Bible all fits together yet. Little children haven't engaged in spiritual warfare in the way that we will discover a young man has. Uh, They're infants. This is a very vulnerable stage of Christian growth. Like any small child on a construction job site, because they're easily distracted... The world around them calls at them. It's not uncommon for these to wander away from the construction site. Because so, it's very important that new Christians strive to progress through this stage quickly. Grow through quickly. It's a dangerous stage you don't want to linger in. And here's the problem. It's possible to come to faith very early in life and remain spiritually useless and an immature Christian for years and years. That's what happened to many of the believers in the city of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 describes them. Paul says to them, this is the Apostle Paul, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, notice they're unspiritual, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, he says, Notice they're still spiritually infants. I gave you milk to drink, that means simple doctrines, not solid food, which would be solid doctrine. He says, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? The answer is yes. They were walking through life like merely unsaved people. They hadn't grown. Paul refers to them as as fleshly infants. Fleshly means sinful. The balance of Paul's letter goes on to document all that the Corinthians were doing that was behaving just like the world around them. This is also the same letter and chapter, by the way, that I cited earlier where Paul instructed everyone to be careful how they build. Same context. And he tells them in that same chapter, each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse 8. A local church can have spiritual children, newly born Christians, they can have unspiritual type children as they did in Corinth. The unspiritual are not as much concerned about taking... Christ's gospel to the world as they are of inviting the world into the church. They still have strong yearnings for that which is ungodly because they haven't trained themselves yet by God's word how to resist the lust of the sinful flesh. They haven't figured it out. The book of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says this, For uh, though by this time you ought to be teachers, this is a reprimand, You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. They're still in the bottle. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, it says. For he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have trained their senses to discern good and evil. The infants were not accustomed accustomed to the word of righteousness. The mature have trained themselves to discern good from evil. The writer of Hebrews indicates that by now, they, they should have been teachers, he says. That means they've been Christians for a while, right? But instead, they can't even differentiate good and evil because they haven't been accustomed to the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. These children can't even differentiate true or false doctrines. Someone tells them, hey, you know what? You can lose your salvation. They're like, really? Well, oh, maybe. I guess so. They haven't been in the Bible discerning biblical truth from error. As a result they're incapable of teaching anyone else, right? You can't be useful of teaching anyone else in that situation. They can't share the gospel effectively because they can't articulate it. They can't teach their own kids because they they haven't learned themselves. And even if they did try to teach their own kids, since they don't know the word of God, it's likely that their life doesn't reflect godliness so their kids wouldn't buy what they're teaching them anyhow. They wouldn't believe it. This is because they aren't learning and aren't accustomed to the word of righteousness. So they're entirely useless in kingdom building. They've gotten distracted by the lusts of the world. They've completely wandered off from the construction site. Perhaps this is why the next warning by John in this book that we'll study next week tells us, do not love the things of the world. That's where we'll be next week. Now every Christian, each one of us who's born again has experienced this childhood, right? Spiritual childhood, every single one of us. For some it lasts four months, for others, 40 years. You need to grow up. You don't want to linger in this stage. This is one of the dangers uh, of churches now that focus almost entirely on entertainment. On pleasing people. They don't get into a lot of doctrine. They want to appeal to that worldly desire. What they do is they facilitate and they prolong this spiritual infancy. There's always got to be a good balance. You have to have good doctrine. Next, let's turn our attention to spiritual fathers. Then we'll wrap up our time uh, by speaking about uh, what our young men considered young men. So one thing we've already acknowledged is that every Christian at one time or another has been a little child, haven't we? Every single one of us. Every strong Christian that's represented as young man has passed through the child phase. And every spiritually mature father has passed through the child phase, right? No one would deny that. That's a given. What we must do then is also realize in this context that it's clearly expected that anyone who's progressed to the level, the designation of a mature father has also passed through the young men stage. They've already passed through that. No one becomes a father without first being a child and then a young man, right? So fathers here also have faced the spiritual battles and experiences that we will observe in a few minutes that the young men have encountered. And now these folks are seasoned veterans, they're wise. They've seen and experienced everything under the sun. For that reason, John twice identifies them simply according to their level of wisdom and knowledge. Look with me at verse 13. John writes, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And again in verse 14, John essentially repeats almost the identical description. He says, I've written to you, fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. Fathers have already passed through the young man stage. They've experienced all that spiritual fatigue, the rejoicing, the battle, the loss, and the gain that a young man has. Naturally, these folks, their resume is really long. Add to that now that John says the fathers not only know him, as the little children do, right? They also, the fathers also know about Him. They know about God. They're intimate with God. They know that God is the one who has been from the beginning. They have knowledge. They've gathered knowledge going through the young men phase. Mature fathers and mothers comprehend things like the eternality of God who's been there from the beginning. They've fathomed the depths of Scripture. They adhere to solid foundational doctrines of the faith and they've wrestled with and appreciate deep spiritual truths like predestination, spiritual adoption, substitutionary atonement. They accept the truth of a young earth, six-day biblical creation. Because this, this individual knows that God who is the one who is from the beginning. They know about Him. They know the, the whole reason for creation is redemption. The whole reason God created anything was to bring glory through the sun from the very beginning. That's why creation exists. So these folks, their Bible's well-worn. They're very confident of what they've learned in God's word. They're not shaken by the waves of the sea, the shifting sands of the popular culture. They're mature. They don't get bent out of shape real easy. They've been there. They certainly aren't men-pleasers, they're God-pleasers, pleas- right? For these people, their main concern is to be a stable presence in the church and finish strong. They're not shallow like little children are. They're anchors, they're deep anchors shore that shore the ship. They want solid doctrine to be preached, they want biblical worship, they want to see evangelism going on, they want to see people saved. And they're regarded as fathers not because they have a whole lot of physical children. This is a spiritual picture, remember? They're considered fathers because they're spiritual fathers of very many. This is because their efforts have resulted in a considerable number of spiritual children. Spiritual offspring, by the way, was the goal of the apostles, right? As they went around as missionaries. Uh, In emulating them, you and I will become spiritual mothers and fathers. Paul was a spiritual father of a young man named Timothy and many others. He says that in his his epistles. Peter was a spiritual father of John Mark, right? You know, Mark was not Peter's natural-born son. We know from Acts 12.12 that Mark was the daughter of a woman named Mary. Different Mary than Jesus' mother. And it also says that Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Mark wasn't Peter's blood son. No son of Peter is recorded at all in Scripture. In fact, no son or daughter of any apostle is recorded anywhere in Scripture. No blood son. Don't you think that's fascinating? That you would have 12 different apostles, no children recorded in Scripture at all. I believe there's a reason for that. You know, we know... uh, in fact, that some of the apostles were married, right? We know that from Scripture. And we can't be dogmatic, but I think it's fair to expect that some of them had children. That's fair. But physical reproduction is never the objective of the New Testament church. Spiritual reproduction is. So unlike the Old Testament, where physical reproduction of a patriarch is the emphasis because the lineage was going to lead to the savior right to jesus christ that was important then but not now spiritual reproduction is our goal and scripture assures us that you can be single or childless and be just as spiritual as anyone else is the apostle paul timothy these men who are single prove that right who won more spiritual children to faith than paul no one that we know of. So that's not a criteria of spirituality. It's, it's it, you know, the church doesn't have family dynasties like the Kennedys and the Rockefellers, right? You don't see that. What you see is spiritual children. Even some of the greats, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Fanny Crosby, Martin Luther, they rose out of obscurity, Right? It came out of nowhere and impacted the world. So wh- whether or not you lead your own children to Christ, you lead your neighbor's children to Christ, you leave your, lead your neighbors to Christ, your co-worker to Christ, your grandma to Christ, spiritual parenting is the goal of Scripture in the New Testament. And since it usually takes years to become spiritually mature and then become a spiritual parent of many, a lot of these folks that John greets here as fathers, they're probably somewhat aged. They've been around a while. Tragedy is that many Christians remain spiritually childless. For all the intents and purposes, they're spiritually sterile. No reproduction. Never growing beyond little children. You know, pretty much everyone grows old. Not everyone grows spiritual. It's unfortunate a lot of Christian men and women never advance to this stage. Doesn't happen for some. Scripture would urge you to mature. So we've seen uh, the spiritual child. We've seen the spiritual father. Now let's observe the spiritually industrious Christian. Christian. These are characterized as young men. You know, the young man exemplifies strength, power, discernment, productivity, right? That's what you expect when young men get on a job site. This person's busy building God's kingdom. He or she hollers up from the rafters, you know, toss me up that hammer. I don't want to take the time to come down the ladder because I'm building. I'm building. They see another person on the job site, another Christian, trying to set in a window somewhere that's heavy, they're running over to them and say, let's get that straight. Let's make sure that's in right. They're helping each other out. They're building. Everything that they do, whether they're at home or whether at work or whether they're at play, in the recesses of the back of their mind, they're remembering God's blueprint. They're looking over that construction blueprint in the back of their mind because they're thinking about building. Where are they going to be building next? And the reason they can do this is because they have trained themselves through the word of God. They have trained themselves to discern what's good and evil and what's important and what is temporal. These are the young men. They don't allow themselves to be distracted by the world passing by. Scripture has taught them to not be deceived into thinking that that Rolex watch can go with them beyond the grave. They know it can't. And if they do have a nice watch which is perfectly fine, by the way. Their purpose for having it is to make sure that they're at church on time on Sunday. Look at what John writes to them in the middle of verse 13. He said, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And add to that the second half of verse 14. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. These people are strong and they've overcome the evil one. That's the devil. He schemes to distract them from construction. He wants to show them all the things that the world has to offer. The raunchy television, the internet, the billboards, everything that that the devil has to try and distract us and, and entice our flesh, right? And then our flesh leads us off to follow it. It's our own sinful flesh is the reason that we follow those things. Follow things that are contrary to God. No, these people, they've overcome. It says the word, uh, that they've overcome the evil one. And the word overcome here, it was used as a military style term. It says it was it's used to indicate a person who had achieved victory, both in mortal battle and in a daily competition style Event, these people have conquered; they've overcome. And the way it says they achieve their victory is through what? The abiding word of God. That's how they have matured. That is how they have become victorious. When it comes to spiritual battle, they're wearing the whole armor of God from Ephesians chapter six. Right? They've got it all on. They stand firm because their loins are girded with truth they're wearing the breastplate of righteousness they've shod their feet with the gospel because they know how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news that's where they're invested in addition to all that they're spiritually diligent they take up their shield of faith they put on the helmet of salvation and then they wield that sword of the spirit which is the word of God that's what they're wielding that's their weapon Well, folks, if you're a member here, if you're a regular attendee, if you're just visiting for one day, if you belong to another church, God has called you to overcome the world and build his kingdom. You have to be abiding in the word of God to do that. And answer me this, how do you do that? How do you learn the word of God? How do you come to know what it says Unless you commit to a church of some kind that's unashamed of preaching it. You need to be a part of a community of believers. And I pray that most of you are. You know, Port St. Lucie Bible Church is not the only church in town that teaches the scriptures. There's other churches that teach the scriptures as well. We know that. We praise the Lord if you're involved with a Bible teaching church. If they do tell you that they're the only ones in town that are teaching the scriptures then i'd tell you to run you know that the gate is narrow jesus says that the gate's narrow that leads to life but it's not so narrow that only one pastor and one church has the door right there's other christians out there so god bless you who've been visiting here today but you need to be in a church that teaches and holds firmly to the doctrines of the christian faith so you can grow to maturity and finish the course like paul did Then you can face the Lord with confidence as he tells you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest, right? Isn't that what we all really want? To escape this world that just fatigues us and bruises us, beats us up. We want to see Jesus Christ face to face. As a parent of these wonderful children that have been our guests here for the last few days, you need to commit to that. You need to be in a Bible-believing church. Disciple those kids. Over the years, what we've learned here, talking to Gerald and even seeing other churches, there's one thing we've learned. Listen closely. Children do not drive their parents to church. They don't get behind the wheel. They don't set the alarm. They don't encourage mom and dad to get up usually. They can't get you here most of the time. Children don't bring their parents... Parents of church. Parents have the responsibility to bring their children to a church. I encourage you to do that. I'm going to call the men forward now so that we can uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, It's also known as communion. We celebrate together what Christ has done for us as he bore our sin and our shame on the cross. Scripture says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. The good news is that Jesus Christ bore every sin and shame of yours. He rose from the dead and he conquered. He is victorious. That is the gospel. Communion is also a time to consider our own sinfulness. uh, That which is not fitting for Christian conduct, conduct. It's an opportunity to confess it and to forsake it. Therefore, we provide a period of reflection before taking the bread and the cup. We do practice open communion at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. So if you are a Christian who has trusted in Jesus Christ, uh, you know that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, you've accepted that, uh, we invite you to join us. And we ask you to take this opportunity now to examine yourself. Nathan, before passing the bread, would you pray, please?
1: As the bread is being passed, would you sing together the first verse, Alas, and did my Savior bleed at the cross at the cross. Where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day
0: In the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, each of us, to grow in our salvation, we need nourishment. A soldier can't be victorious in battle if he's weak and if he's weary, he needs to be fed. This Bible, it's a Christian's MRE, your meal ready to eat. It will sustain you, it will strengthen you, it will help you to overcome the evil one. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. Earl, would you pray before distributing the cup?
1: the element is being passed, would you sing the first verse, There is a fountain filled with blood. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath.
0: In the same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord God we thank you today uh, for the blessings that you've given us, Lord, for for opening our hearts to your word, Lord, for being able to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Lord, we're so blessed. We're so thankful for all that you've granted us. Lord, thank you for the encouragement from one another, these families, our own church family, Lord. Uh, we know that you love us, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Give you his peace. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.